today's conversation, uh, legacy invitations, legacy invitations. And so to start out kind of this conversation, I want you to think about a time or an experience maybe that you've had in your life, maybe even recently, when someone invited you to do something. Can you think of, of anything? You know, at the most basic level, you know, maybe some of you can identify a time in your life when someone invited you to go to a, a concert. Billy Joel, right, recently, Kirk and Denise, or maybe a sporting competition, or maybe even at the most basic level, just going out to, to dinner or to, or to a movie. You know, last night I, I spoke briefly at a, an event here in Costa Mesa, all because of a friend's invitation for me, for me to do so. Now, I don't know, agree or disagree, do you, would you say that some invitations that we see, receive have greater consequences than others? You know, like going out to dinner, out to a movie, not, not a big consequence, but if someone invites you to get married to them, that has some, you know, more weight to it. Or if someone invites you to uh, enlist in the military, that has life or death consequences or outcomes, doesn't it? I would even suggest that a person who maybe uh, considers the invitation, God's invitation to invite Jesus Christ to forgive their sins, you know, be the Lord of their life. That too has eternal uh, consequences, which, which leads me really to this, this undergirding foundation for what I'm, my attitude towards our, our conversation today is that there are legacy consequences consequences to the decisions and the invitations that we receive in life, long-term implications. And so today in our Bible story, we're going to read about an experience that one man had who received from Jesus what I'm calling a legacy invitation. And what I want you to pay attention to is the really the broad number of lives that are impacted directly and indirectly all because of this one man's choice to say yes to Jesus. And so if you have your Bible open or Bible app open, uh, I'm going to start reading at verse 27 of Luke chapter 5. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. Picture this scene in your mind. This is what we're told. As Jesus left the town... He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now write this down, point number one. Legacy invitations provoke change. Legacy invitations provoke change. You know, can you picture the scene of this Bible story in your mind? We're told here, the Bible writer tells us that Jesus is walking out of town. If you read the verses earlier, this is the town in which he's just done this amazing miracle by uh, healing a man who was crippled. And now as Jesus is, is, I'm thinking, heading probably out into the countryside, he notices a man by the name of Levi who is sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, I don't know if Jesus had had any prior contact with Levi. Uh, the Bible writer doesn't tell us. I don't know if Jesus kind of supernaturally maybe, you know, plucked his name out, you know, from this, this you know, encounter. Again, uh, 
the Bible writer doesn't tell us. I don't know if, if the Bible writer maybe sort of post-encounter includes Levi by name in this, you know, in his story. But what I do know, and I think what we can be clear about in terms of what the Bible writer is, is telling us, is it seems that Jesus is the one who initiates the conversation, isn't he? Come be my disciple, Jesus said to him. Follow me and be my disciple. Now, give me, now, now think about this. Give me your feedback. For those of you who are, you know, Bible students, what, it, what were the chances in a Jewish setting of a tax collector being recruited for religious duties? Okay, so thumbs up if you think the odds were really good that a tax collector would be recruited by the religious elite to help out in the church. Anybody? Thumbs down if you think no way, not a chance. Okay, most of us, I think all of us are in agreement. No way. The likelihood of a tax collector being recruited for a spiritual mission in the day and age of Jesus is pretty much zero. Why? Well, because the Bible tells us and scholars tell us that most tax collectors were considered to be what? Crooks, exactly, Lisa. They were categorized along with murderers and, and robbers. In fact, I want to read just a, a, an excerpt from one of the commentaries from, uh, that really sets kind of context for who Levi, Levi was. Let me read for you. Of all the people in Palestine, the tax collectors were the most hated. Palestine was a country subject to the Romans. Tax collectors had service, taken service under the Roman government. Therefore, they were regarded as renegades and traitors. The taxation system lent itself to abuse. The Roman custom had been out to farm out the taxes. They assessed a district, a certain figure, and then sold the right to collect the figure to the highest bidder. So in other words, they would say, listen, we need this amount of money from this particular district. Who wants to go for it? And then these tax collectors would basically barter with the Roman government until the highest bidder would, would get it. And then they were, they were off to the races. Since so long as the buyer handed over the assessed figure at the end of the year, he was entitled to retain whatever else he could extract from the people. And since there were no newspapers, radios, or televisions, and no way of making public announcements that everyone could receive, the common people had no real idea what they had to pay. This particular system led to gross abuses. Now, there were two types of taxes. This is interesting. First, there was the stated taxes. And I want you to put yourself in, in the shoes of these people to feel how, I mean, would you be happy to pay these taxes? It's really cool. There was the poll tax, which all men from 14 to 65 had to pay and all women from 12 to 65 had to pay. So in other words, women had to pay two years more than men. That sounds like a good deal, doesn't it, guys? Apparently not, but they had to pay simply for the privilege of existing. There was the ground tax, which contained, catch this, 10% of all your grain. So if you were a farmer and you had a, made a crop, like a daily living, 10% would go to, to the, the Roman government. But 20% would go to the Roman government, Steve, if you raised wine. So if you were a wine, and in the Jewish context, drinking wine was a big deal. Now you got to get 20% of, of your, your, and oil. So that, I guess that wouldn't be such a big deal, oil. 
Plus, there was, the, there was the tax of just if you were a man, you had to give another 1%. So guys had to give a 1%. I guess that made up for the two years that the women had to pay extra. And these taxes uh, was, there was no, there was, a, there was not a great deal of extortion, okay? So, he, but check this out. Second, there was the kind of, uh, there was the duty tax. A tax was payable for using the main roads. So if you were just on the, we call those here today what? Toll roads. So they had toll roads. If you used a road, you were forced to pay a tax. The harbors, the markets. It's like if you go to the grocery store, the tax collector could say to you, hey, you want to buy some food? Eh, not going to happen until you give me my, my tax. A tax, this is great. A tax was payable on a cart, on each wheel of a cart, and the animal which drew it. Not good. There was purchase tax on certain articles and there were import and export duties. A tax collector could stop you on the road, ask you to open your purse, ladies, or if you had a backpack or suitcase or whatever at the airport, he, he, he could ask you to empty the contents of your belongings and then based on your belongings, at his own, he had the right to tax you. And if you didn't, if you couldn't pay the tax, then what he would offer you is he would offer you a, an exorbitant rate of interest so that he could get you into his clutches. Is there any reason why tax collectors were hated? And yet Jesus, we're told here, chooses Levi, who later becomes known as Matthew, to be one of his followers. Pretty significant. So think about this. What does Jesus' invitation to Levi, a tax collector, tell us about God? You ever thought about that? It seems to suggest, does it not, that God sees us not for who we are today, but rather he sees us as who we might become tomorrow, right? God doesn't focus on my faults and my failures. God focuses on my potential in my possibilities. Are you with me? Now let there be no mis misunderstanding. God's legacy invitations are intended to provoke change. You know, when God shows up in a life, a person's life, when he shows up in your life and he begins to poke your heart or poke your mind about something, he convicts us of something, it's usually because he wants us to respond in some way. Are you with me? God's legacy invitations. God's poking. You ever been poked by God? It's intended to provoke change. You know, I wonder if any of you here today or maybe watching online, if you can identify with Levi. You know, can, have you ever experienced a time in your life when you felt ostracized? You know what that feels like? Have you ever experienced a time in your life when other people looked down on you? Maybe you felt criticized or judged because of the job that you had or because of your appearance or because of your ethnicity or because of your gender or because of your age or maybe even because of your circle of friends. If you have, then you can identify with, with Levi. If you've ever been rejected because Levi as a tax collector, was not well liked. And as we've already 
kind of laid the groundwork for within the strict Orthodox Jewish setting in which he lived, he was considered a traitor. He was considered an outcast. Levi worked for the Roman government, which made him religiously unclean as a Jew. And therefore, if you were a Jew, you would distance yourself from guys like Levi, unless it was absolutely necessary that you had to pay, pay your tax. And by the way, I guess if they taxed you for everything like duties and carts, and you'd probably distance, and distance yourself from them anyways. But I, I, my, I guess my point is, I think it's so amazing in this Bible story how Jesus really particular, particularizes Levi. Because the Bible writer tells us not only does Jesus see Levi, but he does what to him? He speaks to him. He engages him. And if that isn't shocking enough, God, Jesus goes even further by inviting Jesus to what? Follow him, right? Be a part of my posse, Jesus asks. Come be my disciple. And this is what I call, brothers and sisters, a legacy moment. A legacy invitation. And legacy invitations always provoke change. You know, brothers and sisters, I think one major takeaway that you and I can grasp and personalize from this Bible story is the truth that Jesus, when he looks at you and when he looks at the person next to you, he sees way more in you than maybe sometimes we see in ourselves. Right? Jesus sees way more in you and me than, than, than our sin. And that's what we call good news. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good news. Jesus sees way more than you in you and in me than, than our sin. And this Bible story really re reinforces this truth that Jesus wants to have a relationship with people regardless of our reputation, regardless of our career choice. Regardless of our spiritual, religious status, I think what this story really teaches is that Jesus invites us, you and me, to join him on mission. But understand, and I want to be clear on this, that a relationship with, with Jesus will spur change. Most legacy invitations do. So here's what I want you to consider today before we go on in this story. What does Levi's response to Jesus tell us about Levi? Ever thought about that? The fact that Levi would leave his tax collection booth to follow Jesus, what does this tell us about Levi? I propose that it suggests that Levi is spiritually hungry. Even though Levi's not a churchgoer, for the, I think, even though Levi has a friendship circle composed of shady characters, which we're going to read about here in the next set of verses, Jesus recognizes that Levi is spiritually hungry and thus has kingdom potential. So church, don't miss this. When you look at people, do you see their kingdom potential or do you focus on their life mistakes? You know, I propose that there are a whole lot more spiritually hungry people in this world than sometimes we always realize. 
And so really one of the questions I want you to ponder today is who are the Levites in your world? Anybody come to mind? Now, now hear me clearly on this. If you can't identify a Levi in your life, that's a problem. That's not good. Because brothers and sisters, I think there are people, spiritually people, all around us in our world. Who are the Levi's in your world? So, I think, I, I want us to pray a prayer of confession today. Okay, so everybody just for a moment, just put everything down and, and just for the sake of illustration or just practice, I just want you to close your eyes and bow your head. I want you to pray a, a prayer, a, a confession and, and, and really just begins with this prayer. And so just pray this in your heart. Say, God, please forgive me when I fail to see the spiritual hungry people in my world. God, please forgive me when I fail to see the spiritually hunger in my friends. Please forgive me for the times I've overlooked people not realizing that they have a thirst for more, which is Jesus. Now pray this, say, God, please help me to be more alert to the Levites in my world. Please help me to be more alert to the Levites in my world. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Good, okay. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. So follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come not to those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Now write this down, point number two. Legacy invitations create opportunity. Legacy invitations create opportunity. Are you all familiar with the phrase or the term or the slogan, opportunity cost? This is something that Lisa Banning kind of brought my mind to a number of years ago, opportunity cost. Whenever you or I say yes to something, we are also saying at the same time, no to something else. Are you with me? We have a limit amount of time. We have a limited amount of resources. So whenever you or I commit ourselves or our resources or our time, and when we say yes to something, basically we're also saying no to something else. And there is an opportunity cost that we have to pay. A lot of times when I think about my time use and I'm, I'm doing something, I will think, oh man, I'm not making good use of my time. 
I could be doing something else better. I am paying a opportunity cost. You know, years ago, here at Palm Harvest, we had a woman who was a member of our church who had been raised in a Muslim-believing household. And on the day that Nadia gave her life to Jesus and asked Jesus to forgive her sins and be the, the Lord of her life, on that day, Nadia, at the moment of her decision to become a Christian, Nadia's Muslim-believing family immediately cut her off. She became dead to them, which I'm suggesting is a heavy, heavy opportunity cost to pay. Would you not agree? Nadia's husband and their children that later came into the family were forbidden to have any kind of contact with their, her parents, grandma and grandpa, or any of her siblings. Any travel of Nadia back to her homeland in Tanzania came at a risk of being killed, all because of her decision to invite Jesus into her life. Is that a trade that you'd be willing to take? Friends, I propose that Levi totally grasped the opportunity cost of his decision to follow Jesus. When Levi walked away from his tax collector's booth, he knew very well that he was trading in his well-paying job and likely his luxurious lifestyle for instant unemployment. You know, unlike some of Jesus' other disciples who if, if things didn't work out with Jesus, they could go back and be fishermen, right? Pick up the family trade. Not so with Levi. You know, you didn't work for the Roman government, shirk your responsibilities and expect grace and forgiveness in return. No, for Levi, Jesus' legacy invitation meant change. Really change that had serious, serious financial consequences. But here, catch, catch this. Levi obviously isn't focused on what he's going to lose, but rather he's focusing on what he might gain. Interesting. And I believe that Levi understood that Jesus's legacy invitation really was creating a new life of opportunity for him. Je Levi's yes to Jesus's legacy invitation really helped him. I think he understood that this was an opportunity that offered new possibilities and, and new rewards. And from, from what we read here in this Bible story, he wastes little time in making the most of his newfound decision, right? What's he do? The Bible writer tells us that Levi quickly throws a what? A dinner party. And he invites all of his friends to meet Jesus. Legacy invitations create opportunity. You know, I wonder how many in your circle of friends would come to your house for a meal if you invited them. I wonder how many of your business associates would join you here some Sunday at Palm Harvest if you invited them. You know, brothers and sisters, are you inviting your friends to meet Jesus? Like Levi. And if not, ask yourself the question, why not? You know, what's holding you back from inviting a non 
religious, non-Christian friend or coworker to join you at your weeknight Bible study that many of you are in? Are you afraid that maybe they'll be intimidated by the Bible? Are you afraid maybe that they'll say no to you, that they'll reject you for your invitation? You know, I have, I'm always amazed that whenever I've had people reach out to me who are, are, are new and they're hungry, spiritually hungry, and I say, hey, why don't we meet at Starbucks and we'll just read, we'll just read a chapter of the Bible together. No one's ever said no. And I can think of two, right now the word has just brought two men to my mind. Both of them said yes to Jesus. They invited Jesus into their life. Why? Because they're hungry. You know, brothers and sisters, don't ever downplay or underestimate the power of a simple invitation. You know, never underestimate what just asking people to say, hey, just come and see. That's what Jesus did. He just said, come and see, come and see, check things out. Or think about this. Who was the first person who introduced you to Jesus? That's a good lunchtime conversation. Or maybe if you want to stick around after the service today, we'll meet in my office and we'll talk about that. Who was the first person that introduced you to Jesus? Was it a parent? Was it a friend? Was it a, a classmate? Was it a coworker? Was it a teacher? You know, Levi understood that saying yes to Jesus' legacy invitation created a whole new world of opportunities. And he recognized, to his credit, that he was not the only one who was spiritually hungry. Which is why he threw a dinner party. Who doesn't love to eat? Levi knew that he had a whole busload of friends and co-laborers who he thought might also be interested you know, we're only weeks away from Easter. And so I would encourage you to begin to prayerfully consider who you might invite, a non-church friend or family member, to join you maybe here some Sunday or that Sunday at Palm Harvest. You know, we're going to have a brunch on April 30th. It's the fifth Sunday of the month. So we're like seven weeks away. And what we have planned already, we haven't determined the location yet. So if you want to host it, let me know. But we, what we're going to do in this brunch is you're going to want to be there. I'm just, going to, I'm just telling you that right now. We'll set it up next week. We'll give an, up, an update of what's going to happen. And it's going to be a really fun event. Be super relaxing, super easy for you to consider to invite. Hey, you want to come to our brunch? It'll be after our service. And uh, it'll be a really great time, again, to consider inviting somebody who you know to a church gathering. You know, and I just would say this, that if you throw a party and you invite your friends to to come to your house to a meal, invite me. Invite Robin. We would love to come and be a part of it. Robin loves interacting with people she doesn't know. (laughs) And I I would even just go out and say, even if you were to say, you know, consider the emphasis, hey, everybody, I just want you to meet my pastor, Mike, and I'll just give like a two-minute, hey, everybody, just, you know, with the assumption that people are spiritually hungry and really just, just say God loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. And if you, you know, if you want to learn on how to grow, I'd love to be a part of that. That would be my spiel probably. Consider it, pray about it. You know, this Bible story was, think about this, okay? I'm going to start to land the plane here. Was everybody happy about Levi's conversion party, yes or no? No. The gospel writer tells us that someone was critical. Who was it? 
It was the Pharisees, right? The scribes, the religious teachers of that day, the spiritual teachers. What question do they ask? Why do you eat and drink with such scum? At least in my translation. Which points out this truth, and I'm going to close with this. Repentance is not easy for the self-righteous. Let that sink in. Repentance is not easy for the self-righteous. Church, be careful. As a Christian, be on guard against becoming a Pharisee, of becoming someone who is critical and judgmental because repentance is not easy for the self-righteous. You know, I would encourage you to do some self-reflection right now and this week. Are you self-righteous? Are you quick to criticize and judge? You know, over the years of my life and ministry, just even recently, I have had numerous debates with people, mostly family members, about what kind of behaviors and dress is appropriate within the church setting. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. Is it okay for me to wear my hat in my car while I'm driving, praying for my family members, those people that I love, but somehow it's wrong for me to wear a hat in church. Do you have an opinion about that? Is it okay for me to wear vans all week long and engage God and maybe even read the Bible, but wrong for me to wear a pair of vans in a church setting, in a building like this? Does God really view the inside of a building more holy than the inside of a car? Or does he simply just want us to talk to him? Church, why is it okay for me to go to a dance? No, go to a wedding and dance with my wife, which we're really good at, by the way, because <laughs> we've had dance lessons. But somehow wrong for children to dance in the aisles at church. All right? Obviously, you know, we're, does God have an opinion about the clothes that we wear? About the car that we drive? About the beverages that we drink? About the football team or March Madness team that we cheer for? Or the friends that we socialize? Does God have an opinion? Probably he probably does. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, just be careful. Don't become a Pharisee. Don't forget that you were once spiritually hungry too. And hopefully, you haven't lost your appetite. You haven't, because you're here today. You're tuning in today. But just understand this tension of being a Christian and trying to live a Christian life and trying to be respectful, you know? I do feel a little bit more holy with my nice, you know, Kohan shoes today than my Vans. I look good, I'm sure, you know. <laughs> but the point is, I gotta always check my attitude. 
And understanding that repentance, it's, it's hard for those of us or easy for, it's not always easy for the self-righteous. And so ask yourself the question, are you self-righteous? So in your app notes, I'm gonna land the plane here, I promise. In your app notes, every week we put legacy questions. And today, a couple of legacy questions that I wanna encourage you to ponder. One of them is this. In your life, so put yourself in Levi's shoes or sandals. In your life, where might God be inviting you or what might God be inviting you to leave behind so that you can follow him more wholeheartedly? What might God be asking you to hold a loose grip on so that you can follow him more wholeheartedly? That's always a good question to ponder. And then secondly, I'd like you to spend some time this week pondering who in this Bible story do you most closely identify with? Who in this Bible story do you most closely identify with? So for example, do you identify with Jesus who just sees the potential in others? Maybe that's who you identify with. Or do you identify with Levi who recognizes that in his life he has a need for a fresh start? Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe spiritually as you come into this place or you listen to this conversation or watch online, you go, you know what, I, I could use a do-over. I could use a fresh start. I identify with Levi. Or do you identify with the Pharisees? Are you judgmental? Are you critical of others? What's Jesus inviting you to leave behind in order to follow him more wholeheartedly? And in this Bible story, with whom do you identify with most closely? I'll just close with this and then we're going to pray. I recognize that when we give our heart to Jesus and he starts to work in us and transform us, you know, things that are not holy, as a Christian, you start to have a kind of push back against. And you should. There should be a natural reaction. I'm not a fan of sin. But all I'm just saying that in this story, just understand that there are spiritual people, spiritually hungry people in your world and mine. And that's really where Jesus is focusing on. So one final comment. If you're here today, or perhaps you're watching online, or maybe listening to this broadcast on Spotify, if you identify yourself with Levi, and recognize in you that you have a spiritual hunger for wanting to know and follow Jesus, I invite you to pray this prayer with me right now. In fact, let's all pray it together. So just put everything down. Put your palms out in front of you if you feel comfortable. Just a position of receptivity. Nothing holy about that. Now pray this in your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I'm hungry for a fresh start. And so like Levi, today I'm saying yes to your invitation. I want to follow you. So please forgive my sins. Please begin to satisfy my spiritual hunger because I want to grow and change. This is my prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you just prayed that prayer with us today for the first time, Welcome. Welcome to the Christian family. Welcome to the club. We're on this journey together, yes? 
You know, the, the saying is Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Right? Or in some of our cases, a donut. Welcome to the club. And you know, an easy way for you, those of you who are tuning in online or again listening through Spotify and even here today, if you pull up our Palm Harvest app and if you go to the very bottom of the tab, you'll see it says a Sunday tab. And if you just click on that Sunday tab, it'll open up a whole list of things and there's a place for there's a connection card. And if you just click on that little connection card, please fill it out. Just say, I gave my heart to Jesus today or I'd like to get involved today as Beto referenced earlier. And uh, I'll be in touch, I promise you. I'll get an instant, just hit submit. It'll send me a, a, a note and I'll be in touch. And if I can help you grow on your journey, I want to. And if you'll give me that opportunity, I'll do so. Sound good? Sound good. So for the rest of you, work on your legacy questions. Think about them, ponder them. And I would just finally say this, thank you for being spiritually hungry. The fact you're here today, you're hungry and that's good. And God's gonna reward you for that. So would you stand? Let me give you a blessing and then the, join the band as they close us out, okay? So palms open once again. Church, good on you for being hungry, spiritually hungry. You honor God. You honor God with your willingness to continue to grow. And so as you leave here today, know that he loves you and he is with you and he is for you and he's gonna use you. And as you open your mind and your heart to the possibility that God might even wanna use you to be a, an instrumental factor in the life of somebody like Levi, he will do that. You are his hands and feet. I bless you, my brothers and sisters, in the name of God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.